everybody, and welcome to episode 003 of Mastication Nation, the podcast that brings you everything that is wonderful about food without going anywhere near Flavortown. Have you been to Flavortown, Will? Uh, I don't know where Flavortown is, but I know that Guy Fieri is a Northern California native, and it kind of depresses me that he uh, he hails from this region. One of my favorite restaurant reviews of all times is the the one in the New York Times about uh, Guy Fieri's place in Times Square. It's uh, it's it's hilarious. I strongly urge that you all Google it. But here we are, episode three. And episode two, Burgers, not only was it reasonably controversial, a lot of you took the time to let us know your opinions on what constitutes a great burger and what constitutes an abomination unto the Lord. But thank you very much for listening and for, for feeding back. Uh, there was um, a few of you who tweeted at us, Stephen Ballot, at Stephen Ballot on Twitter said, I was skeptical going into the episode on a topic as religious as the burger, but you guys nail it and philosophy was on point. I think that's for you because you are our resident <laughs> philosopher, food philosopher. Our brother, Andrew, Andrew uh, at AndrewTC04 on Twitter said, great episode. P.S. I never spat in your Big Mac. I still don't believe him. I still don't yeah, believe I, him. It, it's psychological I, I, you know, warfare. All you had to do was put the thought that it was in there in the first place. And yeah, exactly. Uh, the damage is done. Really, it's, it's brilliant warfare. Cian, who uh, is a phenomenal food aficionado and a good friend of mine, uh, said, just listened, loved it. Now, how do we get American cheese and Martin's potato rolls into the UK? Backdoor deal with Shake Shack? That's a pretty good idea. And Graham Kingshot at Graham Kingshot said, big mistake not eating before listening to the Mastication Nation podcast today was craving a burger. Uh, not a great look for 8 a.m. Well, no, it's always a good time to have a burger. It doesn't matter what time yeah, of the day it is. Yeah, I, I, totally. And Sam, Sam, I don't know how to pronounce your last name properly, so I'm going to go with Mashin. If that's wrong, forgive me, at Sam Mashin. Just got back from a week in San Francisco. In my opinion... Super Duper Burger has surpassed In-N-Out for Bay Area Burgers. Have you been, Will? So it's funny that this tweet came up. I didn't even know what Super Duper Burger was until I was um, having lunch uh, near the office last week. Uh, and I'm standing waiting in line at the place I'm at. And down the street, I see a line out of Super Duper Burger. So it's right next to Ooh. my office. I mean, I don't know if it's a chain or not, um, but you know, there is one next to me. So I will have to make a venture out there probably next week. Yes, please do. And Sam qualified this by saying that, and he's absolutely right, the In-N-Out uh, in San Francisco itself is in a crappy location. It's Fisherman's Wharf. It's really touristy. In fact, it's where we shot the In-N-Out segment for the Attaché episode in San Francisco. And I, I, he's absolutely spot on. It's in a lousy location. But my base in the, in the Bay Area is actually Livermore, which is 30 miles east of San Francisco. So we have a little bit a little bit of an easier time than, than battling the tourists in Fisherman's Wharf. And finally... Our beloved man-child, Greg Barnes, uh, at Kling Films, gifted videographer, director, said, 2007, a man eats the messy remnants of a sloppy burger with a knife and fork. 2017, he is publicly shamed. Great, great episode. <laughs> you never, he's Poor never Greg. Gonna, no, no, he's never going to live it down. He did something that was incredibly hilarious when we were in college together, and, uh, and he's going to have to live, that, live for that, with that for the rest of our lives. Yeah, that's not a shame that you can scrub off in the shower. But <laughs> as he as he did tweet, and I can confirm, he does eat all of his food with his hands uh, now. Where where appropriate, where appropriate. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so thank you guys for taking the time to do that. Thank you. Uh, please keep doing it. We love hearing from you. Please take the time to to write us an iTunes review if you like the show, or even if you don't like the show. Feedback is good and helpful. Uh, what are you drinking? Well, 
So after two episodes of kind of being boring with Diet Coke, I've taken it upon myself for the benefit of the podcast to start drinking at 1130 in the morning. Um, so <laughs> good, I, good. I, I am drinking a uh, Scrimshaw Pilsner from Fort Bragg, which is about three hours north of here. It is. It's a lovely, refreshing, crisp Pilsner. That is uh, exactly what I need. Yeah, exactly what I need at 1130 in the morning. It's the beer of choice <laughs> in the Hunter household for breakfast. It's uh, Saturday, June 3rd, and it's uh, what, noon, basically coming up at noon for you. It's 8 o'clock here. I'm drinking a Beck's Blue, which is an alcohol-free beer. What? And I like it. I really like it. I, I, I've, I've given up the sauce for a while because I'm doing training for a... Actually, you're doing the same ride. Yeah, you're I know. Doing, so I, Will, I, I, Will I, and I and Will's father-in-law are doing the Pan Mass Challenge in, in Boston in August, which, need I remind you, Will, is two months away. So go to pmc.org slash WH0065 and donate... To Will, because Will's going to bike 87 miles. It goes to a great cause, cancer research. It's a phenomenal ride, and uh, Will, get training. I, I Yeah, I did it last year. I'm slightly worried about the sophomore slump, but um, I am being trained by your father-in-law, who is helping me um, throw up on every single mountain in Northern California. So that's good fun. Good, good. That's, that's marking your territory. Exactly. So uh, what was the best thing you ate since we last recorded so since we last recorded there's probably a lot um that i can't remember <laughs> but since since like i would say the last 10 days or so uh i try to narrow it down to that so there's a place um in berkeley uh you know it's a, it's a good brunch place it's a good lunch place but there's one thing i absolutely adore there and it's their kfc wings and it's not kfc uh, <laughs> so the, the what it stands for is con- con- sorry korean fried chicken oh yeah let me some of that and so you know this i've had korean fr- fried chicken in a couple different places but their wings there are like pterodactyls like that thick they're huge and they are completely covered in in breadcrumbs which i mean sorry in in batter which some people like some people don't but the sauce is just on point you know the first one is nice and and spicy but by the third or fourth one you're actually sort of crying a little bit and i I enjoy that in my uh in my day-to-day wing experience uh so i was in berlin uh, this week, filming an episode of Attaché. So there you go. You know, you guys now know where the next episode is going to be. And we ate some great food. Berlin's a great city. That's a great city. But I think, you know, we had some amazing currywurst at Curry 36. Thank you to our brother for that recommendation. Uh, we had the, well, I'm not going to spoil it. We had a gigantic pastry. Uh, you'll we'll have to watch the episode in a couple of weeks to see exactly what it was. But I think the best thing I've eaten uh, since we last spoke is a kebab. Really? A Ber- I mean, I Berlin kebabs. Berlin style doner kebab, which is different because it's more like, you know, everybody's got a kebab shop on their high street. You've all had a kebab, but the Berlin one is different. It's much more modern, created in the 1970s. It's almost like a sandwich, almost like a bread, as opposed mm. to a, a, a pita or something like that. I mean, and, and giving was, us it suggestions was crazy good. for our D episode. Doner kebab or a K episode, we could do kebabs in general. That's a huge, huge thing. But then... This episode is going to be big as well. So uh, before we get into that, Will, do you have a signature dish that you cook? You're you're an accomplished cook, I know that. But do you have a signature dish that you go, uh, this is what I'm going to make, and I know for sure it's going to be amazing. And even if nobody else loves it, I know I'm going to love it. 
Yes, if it's the summertime. I, I, um, I'm a big, big believer in underutilized cuts of meat. Um, you know, generally people go off and buy their, their loins and their steaks. But, uh, if you know what to look for, you can buy really, really cheap stuff. And so my big thing is sticking with the Korean theme, Korean, uh, Korean short ribs. And so nice. it's the one that look almost look like they have rosary beads throughout, which are the bones running. The, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the rib bones running throughout it. Uh, often if you make it a longer steak, i.e., there's more meat down the bottom, uh, it actually is known as a rosary steak. Um, so I, I marinate that for about six hours, throw it on the grill with uh, with some um, all the different accoutrements. Uh, nice. the, lem- the the limes, the soy, the um, hot sauce, it's all great. And it's just a hot, fast, quick way uh, to enjoy the California summer- summertime. There you go. You, you, yeah, that, that's your go-to thing. That's your signature dish. Mine is chili. My chili is awesome. And I know, I don't care what anybody else thinks about it because I love it. It's one of those dishes where I will make it and I will eat it and my wife loves it and I will sit there happy going, you know what? This is goddamn good. And that's my, that's my, everything else, you know, it's kind of hit and miss with the stuff that I cook. Sometimes it's pretty good. Sometimes it's just not even worth talking about anymore. But chili is my thing. And so we had a big list of things that you guys recommended or that we could have chosen. Curry, corn dogs. Carrots, because of our Carrots. carrot cake conversation. <clears throat> yeah, there's been a lot of recommendations. And I don't know why. I can't. We, we, at, at lunch today with my kids, we played the, the food alphabet game where you do A and then the next person does B. I couldn't think of anything. For it's tea? terrible. Oh, just For in anything. general. For anything, when it's my turn, D, uh, uh, and my kids who are four and six were like, mm, dad, here's 57 things that start with D. So what anyway, we're going to come up with is the fact is Luke's going to be sitting in on the next episode. Yeah. He's going to be sitting in for me from now on, my six-year-old. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So chili is what we're going to do. Have you come prepared with chili? This is awkward. Uh, when you said chili, I thought you meant the uh, culinary culture of the south american country of chile uh and so i have done uh quite a lot of research uh on that thin little country down the western side of south america gained independence from uh from the spanish in the 1800s chief export is copper so we may need to change this a little (laughs) off a little bit i'll see what i can pull together last minute all right good otherwise it's gonna be a very short episode so yeah chile i think we chose chile because i love it I love chili, as as you can tell, but I think it's one of those things also that, like burgers and like a few of the other things I'm very confident that we're going to cover in the first round of the alphabet, is divisive. There's a lot of opinion, there's a lot of interpretation, and I think that that's a good thing when it comes to food. It's not in any way codified, even though a lot of people have tried to, mm-hmm. but should we talk about where it comes from? Yeah, I think that, again, I, this is another one I had to do quite a lot of research on because uh as you alluded to everybody says that it's their way their version of it is is the original the best everything else is is garbage so i think most food anthropologists agree that the current form came from the southwest of the u.s in around the 1850s the chuck wagons um and the the sort of roving cooks of that area sort of came up with a concept that is recognizable as what we now know as as chili however the the going back a little bit behind that um there's a lot of murkiness around what 
it actually is. A lot of people think it's Mexican or comes from Mexican roots. It really doesn't. In fact, I found one quote in uh, one of the earliest represent uh, one of the earliest writings on on chili where there was referred to as a detestable food, passing itself off as Mexican, sold in the U.S. from Texas to New York, which is a very aggressive approach to chili. Wow. Um, the the spices, the concept of this sort of beef hearty beef stew with chili. Uh, some people believe it came from 16 families that uh, arrived in the U.S. from the Canary Islands in the 1730s. There's a Spanish stew in the area, in the Canary Islands, that's very similar to what we consider to be a chili. Um, well, see, that's the thing, isn't it? That's what's so interesting to me, is that chili is is a strangely and uniquely American dish. And as we, we talked about with the burgers, that there aren't actually many, many of those things. But there are similar dishes all over the world. And I think, you know, I like what, what our, our good... Buddy Kenji says about this in an episode about different chili styles or in an article about chili, different chili styles. He said, uh, chili is for Americans what paella is for Spaniards or bolognese is for Italians. It seems like everyone knows exactly what they ch- think chili should be. And everyone knows that everyone else is wrong. And I, I think you can add curry to that as too. Right? Curry is a, is such a broad word and everybody has an interpretation of what curry is. Some people, it has to be spicy. It has to be, you know, have this spices A, B, and C and, and certainly not D. So there's a lot of dishes like this, but I think that's what's so great about chili. And I think, and I 100% agree, but I think that chili, much like paella and bolognese to a, little, a lesser extent, but curry as well. Um, and the reason that there's so much vagueness and, and people putting up their hand and saying ours is right is that it is a peasant food. Um, and so generally with peasant foods where they're just trying to make as much uh, of their ingredients as go as far as uh, possible, the, obviously the ingredients aren't going to be the same across different uh, different regions because it's what ava- what's available. Um, yeah, one of the books I uh, was referencing uh, from the 1920, 1926 when Americans first started really writing about chili, they said, you know, when they have to pay for their meal in the market, a very little is made to suffice for a family. This is generally into the kind of hash with nearly as many peppers as there are pieces of meat. This is all stewed together. And so it's all about like what you can find at the market, what's available at that time of year. And I think paella, it's all about what's fresh, what they can get. I know with paella, people used to go from town to town asking for donations. And so it's all about what people had to spare. And I think that's the root of this initial cloudiness, this initial nobody knows where it originally came from. I love the the story of the 16 families from the Canaries who, who kind of brought over this spicy Spanish stew that that we if we'd seen it in the 1730s, we probably would have gone like that. That looks quite a lot like chili. But I mean, that's, it brings up an interesting point because it is essentially a stew, right? I mean, the process isn't that different. It's just that a few, a few ingredients, and we'll get onto that in a minute because that's where it gets really contentious. Stewed together, uh, will separate a chili and a curry and a, and a stew from each other when really in terms of how they look and how they're prepared, they're not actually that, Different. No, no. And and I, I, I will touch upon the first time I sort of was introduced to Chile. Um, many of you may know, many of you may not know that my brothers and I all went to boarding school in the UK. And I remember my first introduction to Chile being, I couldn't tell if it was bolognese sauce or if it was chili. It was kind of gray floating bits of meat. In, right. in, in, but it was like, is this just... T- 
ch- uh, bolognese with a bit more chili pepper in there. Uh, so or is it bolognese without the pasta? Exactly. And I, so I couldn't really figure it out. And so that sort of lends itself to the fact that it is very similar in this in, in its preparations. I mean, that's a terrible version of it, but... Um, no, I think you're. I think you're spot on. I think for any suburban kid outside of a family from Texas or you know one of the core chili states, if you will, and we, we can get into that a little bit later, that was probably all there. You know, either at school or for me, you know, I'm I'm a little older than Will, and I grew up in California for the first first ten years of my life. My first introduction to chili was our mother would do ground beef chili quote-unquote chili in a uh in a slow cooker in a in crock pot and just leave it on all day in an and orange then we would and have, black crock pot there you go super 70s yeah. uh orange and black crock pot and that would be you know she would make taco salad which was basically uh, frito, a layer frito uh basically yeah, yeah, a bed of tortilla chips this this and it wasn't bad actually i have very fond memories of it the then the this this chili and then and then lettuce shredded lettuce and some some cheese and stuff you know i'm sure a lot of you going that sounds very very familiar because (laughs) that was kind of a staple of the suburban it's 1970s and 1980s suburban menu yeah and i think that's probably a lot of it but i think you know as i i don't think i really discovered quote-unquote real chili until I was in my 30s, or at least didn't appreciate how complicated it was and how, frankly, how good it could be. It just Mm -hmm. seemed like one of those things, like you said, that that you saw on a cafeteria menu because it scales well. Yeah, and I want to sort of tease out this metaphor of... of, well, this this analogy of chili being somewhat analogous to to curry, um, you know, what makes curry at the base level is the garam masala, which is uh, the the combinations of all the different spices that generally are are roughly the same, but the proportions can be different, and and that can get you know your regional and variations there. Chili powder, which is the essence of any um, of any good chili and, uh, and obviously lends its name to it is something that is uniquely North American because chilies didn't exist you know the chilies are a North American thing uh, as are tomatoes which most people don't realize which again is a contentious uh, ingredient for chili anyway but you know what we generally find in a good chili powder is, you know, dry chilies, cumin, uh, yeah, garlic. So powder. cumin is the thing apparently that the, the tie that binds. Yes, absolutely, right? absolutely. Um, and then you know, oregano is a big one as well, which is a North American, uh, very North American staple. I know it's used in, in Europe a lot, but um, uh, and then garlic powder usually are the main ones um, that you'll find in, in, in curry in chili powder. And obviously, people will throw in you know whatever else, you know, pepper, salt, whatever. But cumin, dried chilies, that's kind of the, the basics for, for chili, chili powder. Everything else you can sort of yeah. throw in as you want. And, it, and it's so analogous to a, to a garam masala that, um, you know, it, it makes sense. And the prep too, right? I think you know, my friend Fergie, uh, he's, a, he's a stellar cook and he's, a really, he's really good with his curries as well. And we were talking about, you know, cooking and, and curries. And we often do this thing where I'll cook something and take it over to those guys, to their house. They live across the street from me. And and vice versa, and they're always over for barbecues, and we loved not just to eat the food, uh, but also to talk about it and and stuff like that. But he was walking me through how he makes it because I really wanted to know how the hell do you make these curries so good? And he's studied it sort of like a Benedictine monk, mm-hmm. and has immersed him. This is his life now, and and basically the the prep of creating this sort of almost paste of dry and wet spices and a few other like gar- you know minced garlic and things like that that you then. Uh, heat up and make fragrant either releasing the, the volatile oils it, exactly exactly 
Uh, I don't think he put it quite as elegant, eloquently mm -hmm. as that, but we were several beers into the conversation. But yes, essentially the same, that, that thing. And then goes in uh, some of the, the, the bigger vegetables and the meat and then, you know, if, uh, tomatoes or whatever type of curry you're making. That's a very similar process that I adopted for, for making chili as well. And as you build up the layers, it's exactly the same. Every really good chili recipe, irrespective of the style that they're going for, has this very similar process to making a curry. To cap all this off, and this is, I love telling this, this little anecdote. When we were moving into our house that we're in now, it wasn't quite ready yet. So we moved in with my grandmother for a while while they, while they finished up our house, right? Making it ready for us. And I cooked every single night because my grandmother's in her 90s and I wanted to, to do something nice for her. And also she- She cooked cooking. for us for the first 10 years of our lives. Kind of exactly. Thing. Yeah, exactly. And she she she's wonderful. So uh, I was running out of things and I had been putting off chili and putting off chili. Like, no, she's not going to like this. She's not going to like this. this is the, my grandmother has a very refined, one might say limited palate. She's 97 or 94. She knows exactly what she likes in life and she's not going to eat anything else. But I ran out of stuff and I was like, I'm just going to make a chili and I'll have something on backup if she doesn't like it. And she absolutely loved it. And she's like, it's American curry. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, yes, that's exactly, you, you should be in marketing. This is exactly <laughs> what it is, it's American curry. So I think it's it's really quite wonderful how how similar they are and from two countries who you know, ge geographically couldn't be further away from each other. I, I love that story as well. It, it, it's I was fully expecting Alex to be written out of the will uh, based on that meal. Yeah, so you, you think so? No, she. I mean, my grandmother would never go. This is disgusting. Get out of my house. She I think you're forgetting Christmas of 2006, where we'll yeah we'll we'll cook the perfectly fine joint of beef that was medium rare, and that was it. That was the end of Christmas. We'll ruined Christmas, and uh, that scab is picked yeah. every single Christmas. But here we are. She liked the chili. She liked the American curry. And I, I just, I think it's so interesting that those two are two, you know, spice profiles, that base powder mix of, of, of dried spices at the beginning and then layer and layer on top of it. So I think there are a number of way, uh, places that we can, we can move within the chili universe as it were. Um, I'd like to go to this chili universe <laughs> you speak of. You know, there, there's the, there's so much that you need to decomp. It, it is a very complex dish that is is obviously, you know, not that difficult to make. Uh, sorry, it's very difficult to master, but you can make a very serviceable one fairly easy. Yeah. Um, but we can go down the path of, you know, chili. The word chili, we could spend twenty minutes just talking about chili peppers. I mean, I could do the whole episode about chili peppers. Um, you know, or let's just dive into the fact for you because you are you know, a self-proclaimed uh, guru of the the craft, um, you know. I just like my chili. Uh, for, 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 for you, what makes chili chili? What is it that it needs to be? I am, well, first of all, I know that my chili is not quote unquote, I've been saying quote unquote a lot in this episode, but it is true. Uh, I don't, it's not authentic by the reasonably strict definition of what a chili is. Because I add two things. One, which is heresy to a Texan. Well, why don't, we, uh, why don't we back up and start with what most people in the U.S. will will call what they will call chili, and then you know we can we can critique your version of that based on someone from San Antonio. All right, now that's from, a good way of doing it. From someone from so, San Antonio. Go ahead, tell me what a what a chili is. 
I, I'm I'm of the mind that I I will place Chile as being from Texas. Uh, San Antonio is probably the birthplace of it. Uh, generally, it is considered to be meat, always beef that is being slow cooked and rarely ground in a fiery sauce of um, of chilies. Um, you'll rarely see tomatoes in there, but that's a little. Oh, that can be okay, um, but the one thing you will never find and can get you disqualified from chili cook-offs, which are a big, big business in the South, uh, is beans, rice, or any other filler, and beans is the big one. So one of my favorite quotes that I found while uh, doing the research on this is uh, from a Texan who said, if you know beans about chili, you know chili has no beans, which I think <laughs> is a great ring endorsement for what they call a, a cup of red or a bowl of red. Um, you know what is what they call chili. So it is. Beef. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you guys listen to this either. That in Texas, it's technically legal to murder somebody if they serve you chili with beans in it. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. They don't take small. This, no, that's not little little factor. They don't take that lightly. It's 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 they considered heresy. Um, so basically, it's super simple down there. It is beef slow cooked in a in a um, in a sauce. Generally, they use beer as their as their thickener, and it's got um, you know the the chili the chilies that have been roasted, the the chili powder, and that's pretty much it. It's almost like a ragu. So let's jump off of that and and compare it to Mr. Alex Hunter's uh, recipe. Well, actually, before we even do that, it's important to say so. Texas chili is is a thing, and it's probably the original thing, but it's been riffed on across the U.S. There's Springfield chili, which is even spelled differently. It's got two L's, and that's from obviously from not from Simpsons World, but from Illinois. Yeah, so this one's from Illinois, and they have a a Texas cook-off or a a chili cook-off, and that has uh, ground beef in it. And that has tomato sauce in it, uh, and that has Tabasco in it, and that's style. That's that. That's the definition. Then there's Cincinnati style, which is again ground beef, and it's served on spaghetti. Yeah, Cincinnati beef. Uh, sorry, Cincinnati chili is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. It reminds me of boarding school chili. I mean, it is, it's, yes, it, agreed. It's, it's got not more bad, flavor, though. but it's kind of like. I feel like Cincinnati chili was like some English guy moved back to to, to the U.S. and was like, "Here's two things that don't make sense together," and put them in, in all, all yeah, place. Yeah. So it's like That's here's some gr- here's some ground sure. brown chili, some some overcooked pasta, and uh, let's let's throw some craft uh, some craft cheddar on top. I'm probably yeah. never being allowed into Cincinnati, but uh, I'm willing to start, die on that hill because it sounds gross. So then, then there's Oklahoma chili, which is very similar to Texas, except they're far less militant about putting things like beans or masa or rice in there. And that's, that's fine. And then there's chili verde, which is a whole different thing, which we won't get into. So my chili is probably, of the, of the ones that we just discussed, mine is very similar to Oklahoma style. I will take a, uh, an onion, some garlic, and I will get it going in a very large Dutch oven. And with some oil and get that that going, and then I will put in some of the dry spices. And the dry spices again are nothing that you wouldn't be familiar with. It's it's exactly what we just talked about that uh, cool. that chili powder, cumin. Uh, I use brown sugar. Uh, I use which is an interesting one because I think it needs sweetness. I used a little drop of oregano. I use chili powder. I use smoked paprika, which is weird, but not. Not out of the ordinary. No, and common. I use I use ancho chili powder for yeah. a nice smoky 
uh, flavor. I also use uh, chipotle peppers and the adobo sauce, which are basically smoked jalapenos. Yeah. For a so the, spice. The, the, so, chi- the chilies in general, the, the way that they're, they're, they become a different thing based on what you do to them. So there's very common chilies that you know of that yeah. um, will just have another, have, a, have another name based on what they've gone through. Yes. Yeah. So I, so depending on how saucy I'm feeling, I either use chipotles and a little bit of the adobo sauce. I don't want, I don't use too much of it because I don't want it to overwhelm the flavor or I just use straight jalapeno peppers. Now, if you're, if you're being a little bit more uh, adventurous, there's a bunch of different chilies that you can use, but we'll get onto that in a second. Mm -hmm. I missed a critical step in mine. Before I do anything, I only use big, beautiful, chunks of beef i do not use ground beef ever i did in the past i just don't like the texture it's wonderful and other things a good beautiful ragu or or whatever but or a cottage pie or whatever it doesn't really matter but i i use beef i brown it get a nice kind of maillard reaction going on i remove that and then i do the the spices and then i deglaze it because you're building the fond and uh, d- that's what the stuff at the bottom is. It's called fond, which that's comes the to the same stuff. word from foundation in French, because you're building the foundation of something. Well, there you go. Yeah. There's a nugget for you. <laughs> uh, I deglaze usually, and this is, I've tried everything. I've deglazed with coffee, with beef stock. I've deglazed with a porter beer, a stout beer, and red wine. And red wine is what I've settled on. It's hugely unorthodox, but I it gives a really deep robust flavor that's a great basis for the red sauce once it's probably reduced by about half the meat goes back in and then i do add beans for the exact same reason that the pioneers did i have to feed four kids well four kids including me and my wife we're both children uh (laughs) but i you know i put in beans and that just fills it out and actually to be to be completely frank it actually means that if my wife and i eat it then there's leftovers I have no problem with that. I'm not a bean in my in my chili kind of guy. However, if you are taking away one of the true tenets of what chili is supposed to be, it is peasant food. It, it is something that's supposed to last, uh, you know, at least in a chunk of time. I think you're doing a disservice to the whole point of the of the dish. If you're trying to make it stretch, make it stretch with what you have. Yeah, no, and the beans I think add to it. And so you know, I actually add, I add a tan- can of tomatoes as well. Sometimes it doesn't really change it for me at all i think because i'm putting in some sea salt and because i'm putting in a little brown sugar you really take away the edge from the from the tomatoes and they're good quality roma tomatoes which i chop myself and all of that and then the beans i use it, it really varies kidney beans i think uh are good fillers but they're kind of boring black beans change the flavor profile a lot and i think it, it they work really really well pinto beans i love the flavor of anyway it's basically like eating a kind of a jar of refried beans <laughs> so it, it, whatever i have in the in the in the closet again so it makes me feel good knowing the the provenance of chili that I'm basically doing what the pioneers did. Exactly. Uh, and just for our English listeners, don't put baked beans in there. It, it just, no. Uh, it, I don't know many people that do. Kidney beans, sometimes they've seen chickpeas in it, which again, there's such there's such an innocuous flavor and texture. It doesn't really matter to me anyway. It, it's always funny when I, when I, between England and America, you know, baked beans in England are a breakfast staple or beans on toast. Um, in America, they are a side at a barbecue. Um, yeah, but they're different, aren't they? They are very, very different flavors, but you, 
they look the same. And so you can be in for a bit of a shock when you put them in your mouth expecting Heinz 57 and it's uh, Bush's baked beans and they've got that smoky, you know, sort of almost barbecue, barbecue flavor about them. Yeah. And I think that, that that brings up a good point because I think one of the things that I, I like is the sweet and the smoke. Not too sweet, where it's sort of the, the the baked beans that you're talking about, the American baked beans that you have as a side at a barbecue can be very sweet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't go for that sweet, but I do like just a little bit of brown sugar. Kinders, if you've if you've come across them, they do spice rubs. Uh, they're based actually in Walnut Creek, California. Yeah, I did not know. They that. do really great if you're if you're in the U.S. and you have a Costco nearby, you can almost always find them. In fact, I, you can find them at Costco in, here in the U.K. as well. They they do a couple of, of rubs that have got some uh, some great combinations of of salt and sweet as well that work great in a chili. And I think the, the thing about chili, and I've been experimenting for literally for ten years, and I've settled on something where I don't need to look at a recipe a recipe that I've written down. I don't need to weigh or measure anything. I've, it's just sort of one of those things that you can just you know do quickly. And another thing, you know, that's important to mention. You mentioned it when we were talking about the beef and the composition is. I make it at eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I mean, people do ground beef because they don't have the time and that's fair play. I understand that. But if you have the time to do it, the difference is just, it's on another level. You're, you're creating just a completely different kind of meal. Um, so if you have the luxury to, or, or the, the environment that's safe to do so with a, with a crock pot, with a slow cooker, with a pressure cooker. I mean, pressure cookers allow you to do it in, in the time that it would Much take, faster. uh, to do a ground meat version. Um, but not everybody has pressure cookers. Um, you know, we do everything in Dutch ovens, uh, while we, yeah, here. I do mine in, I do mine in Dutch. Although I did use a, I did use a slow cooker for a long time, but in a way it was slightly faffier because you would have, you would have to brown the meat and everything else and then put it in a slow cooker you might as well just leave it in the dutch oven if you if you have one and you can get cheap dutch ovens my lodge is the best thing i've ever owned i've got this big beautiful blue lodge cast iron or ceramic you know the the coated dutch oven and that works beautifully and i just leave it on low for as long as i want seven eight nine hours they last forever if you treat them well um they really yeah you gotta look after them and i also i keep the lid on and for the last hour i take the lid off so that it really thickens up some of the moisture evaporates and i love it and we have it with and we should we should we should move on to this in a second uh once we've wrapped up what the composition of a chili should be uh we have it with i have it with sour cream and grated cheese and a couple of tortilla chips. My wife has it uh, sans sour cream, but that that's my chili, and it's one of the most comforting things uh, I've I, I make. I, and I, I agree. The toppings are, are totally up to you. Um, Allison Brown in one of his his um, uh, recipes, he's a firm anti anti uh, beans guy in chili, but um, he uses crushed um, uh, tortilla chips um, to thicken it up while cooking. Um, really, it, while yeah. cooking? Yeah, while cooking. So if he wants to thicken it up, he makes a very loose one to begin with, and then he adds crushed uh, crushed tortillas into it. Because apparently, one of the recipes, one of the original recipes, used to, re- uh, recipes used to use uh, masa dough, uh, which is basically yes. uncooked uh, tortillas. And so basically, you're, you're reconstituting them back into their original form to be a thickener. Exactly. Why not? I think not. I we just keep getting this vision of already chewed tortilla chips but i'm sure that i mean it's alton brown he's he's he knows what he's doing if he recommends that's good but this is one of the topics that that kenji uh has dived into in his incredible book the food lab but also in several articles from years gone by and 
he has gone through all this research and looked at all these different types and says, and I think that we've we've basically covered this, that the ultimate chili should, and this is basically indisputable, and I'm quoting here, have a rich, complex chili flavor that combines sweet, bitter, hot, fresh, and fruity elements in balance. And I think the balance bit is key. Uh, have a robust, meaty, beefy flavor. Assuming that it contains beans, that those beans are tender, creamy, and intact, and be bound together by a thick, deep red sauce. I think that's basically what we've said. Yeah, I think that, and, 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 and that's again, a nice sort go, of um, pillars to live by that you can work within. I think that all of the the chilies that we consider chili uh, that we talked about all work within that. Um, you know, th- we're not having anything that's too sweet, too hot, um, or yeah. you know the the beans fall apart if you're having beans in there is is not okay so and that's why what was the last one be bound together by a thick deep red sauce which automatically rolls out chili verde white chili you know all that kind of stuff so i think those are nice uh you know pillars tent poles of what makes chili yeah and you know if you want to get a little bit more complex than the chilies that you the the chilies as in the chili peppers that you use you can play with uh, if you're looking for the sweet ones, you can look at, um, you know, the Californias. If you want really hot, then that, you know, I, I, that's another thing that we should talk about. A chili does not have to be spicy. It does not have to be ass-burningly spicy. I think that the, it, even though my previous incarnation of my chili did send my sister-in-law into labor because <laughs> it was so spicy. So the arrival of my one, two, three, four, fifth niece is because of my chili. But it doesn't have to be spicy, I don't think. No, and I kind of wanted to touch upon that. Um, for those that don't know, uh, the, the way that chilies are ranked based on the spiciness is called the Scoville scale. Uh, most people are fairly familiar with that. And it's, uh, I'll give you some examples. So a bell, pe- bell pepper is, is zero on the Scoville scale. You know, Anaheim chili is anywhere between 500 and, and 2,500. Uh, a jalapeno, which most people know, is anywhere between 25 and 8,000. Um, the, the variation there is because it's the seed and the membrane that's spicy. So it's all about the varietals within there. Uh, some of the varietals, the, the, the growing differences within there that's just more chilies, etc. Um, and then some other ones that you may recognize, Serranos are like 23,000 uh, on, the, on the list. Cayennes are uh, anywhere between 30 and 50,000. Scotch bonnets, uh, 100,000 to 350,000. Uh, and so now we're getting into some of the, the more crazy uh, levels of chili where it's just not fun and it's all about proving some sort of intense man- manliness, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I put this in here, um, and Alex, I'm not sure if you saw it, but it was making the round on a couple of uh, a couple of websites today that I wanted to touch upon. Um, so a ghost pepper is one oh, of the hottest yeah. uh, peppers in the, the world. I watched the Man versus Food where Adam Richman ate something with those on it, and it looked excruciating. So a ghost pepper is about a million on the Scoville That's scale. That's crazy. Uh, and so I'm just going to I'm just gonna give you the headline. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to bury the lead a little bit. I'm going to give you the first part of the paragraph. A man who ate a burger in San Francisco, topped with a ghost pepper puree, was rushed into the emergency room after doctors found that his esophagus was torn and his left lung had collapsed. Holy shit. Whoa. Yeah. So this guy was doing one of those challenges. I, I'm not sure where it was. In that's San the one. That's I think that's the one that uh, Adam Richmond was doing. It, it's somewhere in San Francisco. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where it was. But to put everyone's mind at ease, um, it wasn't technically the chili 
I had this idea of this chili making contact with his esophagus and like burning through it like molten lava. What happened was that he had such a violent reaction to it that he was sort of retching and and, and projecting that um, that whole process caused the rip uh, rather than the whole than actually the burning through, uh, which caused so the collapsed lung. That's just that's terrifying and distressing. Yeah, and so don't. People, friends, here's your PSA. Don't put ghost chilies into your into your chili. Stay below five hundred thousand, I would say. Yeah, I, and and uh, you know the the best way to do that is to go to your local. I mean, in America, your local supermarket in in the UK. For me, um, there's a couple of specialist retailers where you can get the beautiful dried chilies. You put them in a bowl of hot off boil water, bring them back to life. Them. Uh, and then you can chop them up. Sometimes you can toast them. It doesn't if you want to bring out a certain aroma. Experiment with them. Try them. They all have very different flavor profiles, and I think that that's that's the way to find what you like. And unlike uh, most, so if you make a big batch of your own chili powder, it's dead within six months. I mean, even if that, uh, because you've released, you've roasted it, you've cracked the seeds of the of the chili or the different spices. And you're going to be in a situation where those volatile, volatile uh, oils are just going to dissipate. But when you have dried chilies, you haven't done that yet. So you're in a position that they last longer. And then you should basically be making you know, batches in, in the amount that you feel like you can get through in less than three months' time. Uh, otherwise, you're going to lose potency, which is fine, but it's not going to be as, as – um, it's going to be uh, monotone as opposed to a nice harmony of flavors. But there's two things I sort of want to round out the episode with um, that I feel that maybe our listeners can help us out with. Whereas we've stated that chili is such an American, such a Southern concept, um, you know, it's so ingrained here. And whilst, you know, some people in England do have it, create it. I mean, there's the kind of the old El Paso thing has sort of cornered the market on what they're trying to create as uh, seemingly American style chili. I would love to hear from our listeners as far as like, does chili exist in your country or is there yeah. your own version of it? Does the American chili travel? Is it like curry that is now in every single country? Yeah. And, and that's a great point. Is there, you know, listening to what we've described, is there something in your neck of the woods that sounds very familiar? And it could be a curry. Um, Kalyan, if you're listening... Our friend in Mumbai who took me on the incredible street food journey and wrote a, a wonderful book uh, called The Traveling Belly. Look it up and get it. It's a, it's a wonderful book about street food in India. Uh, if you're listening to this and this, this sounds familiar, tell me what the Indian equivalent <laughs> to chili is. I would love to know. And do you think like maybe like in Southeast Asia, there's all these hot pot stews and oils that are just like viciously hot and you yeah. drop meat into them. Is that close enough of a representation? I think... If you follow uh, Kenji's pillars of what we discussed, and can you drop something onto that framework that makes sense in other cultures? Um, I, I'm sure yeah. that there is. And is there something similar in c- countries that had a strong and and or still have a strong cattle culture, like Argentina, Brazil? Is there something similar the other where you've got great beef? Yeah, the other, the actual. The Chile. Yes. So it'll be very interesting to hear from you guys if if you and also do you like chili? What would you do? You think beans are do? If we have any, Valerie, if you're listening, our friend in Texas, if, if you're still listening after after discovering the fact that I put beans in my chili, what's the chili like? I think you're in Houston no, she's or in Dallas. 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 Yeah. What's it like down there? If you've got a favorite chili recipe, here's one thing that I I used to do. I haven't I haven't done it anymore. Uh, is a square of dark chocolate. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of like the mole style uh, exactly stews of Mexico. Marmite, 
Okay. For an, uh, an umami bomb? Yeah. Soy I, sauce? I, soy sauce, I get it, yeah. I mean, don't ever use the term umami bomb again, because it sounds like a terrible burger joint. <laughs> oh, that's, I'm going to, that's a great idea. <laughs> oh, umami bomb. Um, but it's 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 a, it's a thing, I, and that's what's so great about chili. You establish the basis, and I like the way you put it, the framework, and and then you just riff and you see what happens, and you see sometimes it's going to be great. But the only thing that I would recommend, because this is something that I've been bitten in the ass before, is keep at least a mental note of what you put in it each time, because if it's amazing and you go, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to recreate it. Yeah, trying to reverse engineer it, and that's not yeah. a fun situation, especially in stews where just cooking time and cooking intensity makes a difference on, on and reductions. And so even if you get all the, all the recipe, the ingredients right, the, the recipe, the actual instructions, if you've reduced it for a little too long, it's going to completely change the intensity. But I think what we've established is that this is, although contentious of, of, of origin, we're less militant than we were than with burgers. And, and we feel that, you know, this is something I truly encourage anybody who's not making chili to, to give it a shot. It's a fun thing yeah. to make. It is not it's a, a, it's not a party food. It's not something that you would have, you know, at the Super Bowl, which people sometimes associate it with. It is a real sit down summer, uh, sorry, wintertime hearty meal like any yeah. sort of stew. And I love it. I do. I do love it. I think try try it out. See what you like. It's not difficult. In fact, it's one of those things where you you can throw a bunch of stuff together and people will taste it and go, "Wow, this is this is." I think when my when my brother was last over and I made him chili, he ate it and was like, "Oh, this is bloody delicious." Uh, and you know, it is. It's one of those things where it's not hard to make something that is comforting and memorable and scales well to two or 15 people mm -hmm. if you got you know, you know last minute house guests or something like that and then the season is right i just i just i love chili i think it's a great thing i've been to a couple of chili cook-offs uh where they as you say they are much more militant about what and what is not a chili but that's okay with, that's okay with, they're with still fun with chili's uh was it chili's made in the, the jungle primeval of a ecuadorian uh, mental asylum yeah. <laughs> I butchered that Simpsons quote, but I'm I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, and so the last thing I wanted to do, I, I, I apologize. I can't remember who tweeted that at us. Um, and I, I'll try and remember in the next episode. But um, someone mentioned, um, you know, if we would do a segment with what, what would we what would we pair with each of the individual items that we're talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, episode. that was a great, great idea. Someone suggested uh, talk about what you would pair with each food that you talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, we can go back to our previous um, ones and catch up, but we'll do it moving forward. And so for me, um, for chili, I need a, not not necessarily a porter or dark ale, but like a darker lager. Uh, it's got to be a beer. And the lighter uh, beers just aren't going to hold up. They're maybe refreshing, but they're going to be totally washed out. Whilst I think a darker beer, uh, a darker lager or, or um, a lighter ale is something that will hold up well to it. But I have a feeling that you're going to say red wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to say red wine. Uh, I think that they complement it. Well, that's beef. Yeah. So it's going to go well with red wine. But yes, I think a, 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 a red wine, not something like a Shiraz, which has got a little bit of, of spice to it, something a little bit more calming and soothing. Mm -hmm. But it was it was our good friend, L.A. Flyer, who's a long-term layovers listener, and 
He's the guy that uh, that recommended that. So thank you. That's a really good idea. We are going to take that idea and we're going to run with it for the rest of the show. And a little, I guess, uh, warning or safety advisory. So, so <laughs> Chile cap- safety so, advisory. Yeah. So capsaicin, which is the 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 hotness in in Chile, is it it bonds in a way that water uh, just H two O won't get rid of it. It just it no. won't be neutralized. In fact, it actually can make it worse because it's spreading the burn down. To different places, the the fat in, in in milk and in cream and in lactose basically it, it, it's fat soluble. Capsaicin is fat soluble, so it will bond with the with the capsaicin with the with the lactose, and that will neutralize it pretty quickly. Um, but the concept of just so sort of mentally, the concept of milk and chili just makes me want to retch a little bit. But it is the fastest way to <laughs> to cure a burn if you are uh, expen- experiencing a five alarm chili. Well, there you go. That's probably a great tip to end with. But get in touch and let us know what you think about chili. Do you like it? Do you hate it? What's in yours? Do you make it? And and most importantly, to Will's point, what is it in your neck of the woods? And we will be back with duh. So hit us up with some, right, duh? Yes. Yes. Alphabet is hard. <laughs> <laughs> so let us know what we should do. And until next time, enjoy your food.